Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Scripture reading this morning is going to come out of 2 Samuel chapter 24. It's going to be verses 1 through 17. You can find that on page 326 of the Black Pew Bible, if you would read along with us. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, and number the people that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they were, while the eyes of my lord the king will see it. But why does my lord the king delight in this thing? But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. So they crossed the Jordan and began from Aroer, and from the city that is in the middle of the valley towards Gad and on towards Jazer. And they came to Gilead and to Kadesh in the land of the Hittites. And they came to Dan, and from Dan they went around to Sidon. And they came to the fortress of Tyre, and for the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites, and they went out to the Negev of Judah at Beersheba. So when they had gone through all of the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of the nine months and twenty days. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to the king. In Israel there were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000. But David's heart struck him after he numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand towards Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, It is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arayuna, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned and what I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. So God's anger was kindled against Israel throughout Old Testament history. We see that time and time again. The last time we saw it was in chapter 21. You remember Saul, he had tried to eliminate the Gibeonites. Although Israel had promised to protect them, Saul tried to eliminate them. And the result of that sin was a three-year famine. That's in chapter 21. And now here again, the Lord is anger with Israel. We're not sure why, but we're not surprised, are we? 
that they, they would be angry with, with Israel, but they are. And the first thing I want us to notice there in verse 1, just notice the sovereignty of God. It says that God incited David against Israel as David sins against the Lord. And it's, it's interesting, God incited David to sin. But if you read the parallel passage in 1 Chronicles, and I've said this many times, we have 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. It's a, a chronological rendering of the monarchy. From Samuel to the end of the monarchy, it's a chronological order um, a historical account of the monarchy in, in Israel, but if you read First and Second Chronicles, what what they the, the author there does is gives us an overall history from Adam up to the end of the monarchy. So sometimes those stories parallel, and that's what's happening in First Chronicles twenty one, and it says there that Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So some of you might read those accounts. You might wait a minute. I thought it's it says God here in Second Samuel twenty four, but First Chronicles twenty one. It says that Satan incited David to number Israel. So did the Lord incite David to sin, or did Satan incite David to sin? Well, we know, good hermeneutical principle, right, that Scripture interprets Scripture. So both are true, aren't they? Let's think about it for a second. God did incite David, but he did it through Satan's influence. Let's talk about this for a second. We know that God is ultimately in charge of all things, isn't he? He's even sovereign over me preaching this morning. He rules over all things. He rules over even the enemy, over Satan, doesn't he? And we know that Satan's purposes are always evil, but God's purposes aren't. And so what God has done is he's given Satan access to David where Satan incites David tempts him, if you will, to take a census. And we see that elsewhere. Where do, we else, where do we see that elsewhere in Scripture? Yeah, the book of Job, right? We see Satan doing that as well. Does God tempt man? He, does, he doesn't, does he? In James chapter 1, God does not tempt man, right? But Satan does. God is not morally responsible for sin, but man is. This somewhat mysterious to us. We don't understand his thoughts and the ways of the Lord, but we do believe it, right? We believe that man and Satan are culpable and God is innocent. We believe that God is sovereign over all things to bring about his, his will. I think of it this way, that the Lord has Satan on a leash and he allows him to do only so much. And this is important to remember for us, isn't it? Because... When trouble comes, when bad things happen to you, you need to know that you're not at the mercy of the enemy, are you? You're not at his mercy, but you're at God's mercy. And God is sovereign over all, but yet he does not tempt man. So that's the first thing I want us to, to remember from this text in verse 1, that God is sovereign over all things. The second thing we notice in this text is Morgan read it for us is David sinned, didn't he? He sinned against the Lord. His sin was numbering the people. When he took this census, and I, I've been seeing advertisements. You've seen it too, haven't you? The census, 2020 census. Y'all seen that? Yeah. Um, this information gathering phase, it says it, it took nine months and 20 days, or about approximately 285 days to do this. It's a lot of work. 
to number all the, the fighting men. If you read First Chronicles 21 and verse 5, the parallel account there, you see a little, a, a, another discrepancy. Um, and Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to David. In all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And in Judah, 470,000 who drew the sword. And, of course, if you compare that to the, the account here, we see there's 800,000 men of Israel and 500,000 men of Judah. Why the discrepancy here? We see these two discrepancies in just a few verses. Well, I think that's easy to understand. First Chronicles 27 tells us that the, the standing army of Israel was 288,000 people. This standing army figure was probably omitted, most likely omitted from the Second Samuel listing, but included in the First Chronicles one. So the one in Second Samuel lists only the prospective soldiers, where the, the list in First Chronicles lists those already enlisted and in, in the potential soldiers as well. So you put that together, and that's why you have that discrepancy. And some of you would never have thought about that, but some of you I know are reading both uh, both accounts in different books. But why was this census, why was it sinful? Why did it displease the Lord? A couple of things to draw your attention to. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 11 through 16, there were regulations given to Israel regarding taking a census, trying to number the fighting men. When they were numbered, and they're supposed to be numbered, they would give a half shekel tax. It would be given to the service of the Lord and the upkeep of the temple. And so what you would do by taking a census and taking the, the half shekel tax per person, each person giving that half shekel to the Lord, what they were doing where they were acknowledging that they were the people of God and the nation belonging to the Lord. Well, we don't, we're not told that David had the men collect the temple tax. That could be part of the deal. Why that was so harmful and hurtful for the nation. But elsewhere we see census being taken. Think about the book of Numbers. The Israelites were numbered. Each tribe was numbered. Hence the name of the book. Numbers, right? And we see that to be a good thing. Also, on the day of Pentecost, how many people were saved on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached that great sermon? Do you remember? How many? Yeah, 3,000. Well, somebody had to count them jokers, didn't they? Right? And you don't see anybody being rebuked. That's not a bad thing. In fact, the number is given, so we'll say what? Praise the Lord. Right? It's a good thing. But here, I, th I think, not only did David, it, it doesn't seem that he received, had those men give the temple tax and receive that in the, for the temple, uh, take care of the, the temple. I think you see in verse 3 that Joab, what does he do? He tries to deter David from taking the census. I mean, even Joab, and Joab, what do we know about Joab? Joab, he's not a, he's not a very upstanding fella, is he? And even he says, David, I don't think you should do this. See, do, David's motives were wrong. That's what's going on here. I mean, think about David's life. David's been treated poorly by a lot of folks. I mean, he's anointed king of Israel. Now, did David say, I want to be king? No, he was anointed by God to be the, the next king of Israel after Saul. And what did he do for Saul? Only serve him faithfully. But yet Saul, 
tried to take David's life. In fact, David spent decades running for his life from King Saul. And what about his son Absalom? Remember that whole fiasco? Absalom tried to run David out of the country, tried to take his life. There was a coup attempt. It failed. But we can understand why David's a little, um, maybe a little prideful here. I mean, think about Shimei. You remember Shimei? He treated David poorly as well. Remember he was the rock-throwing, cussing opposer to David's kingship. And then you have Sheba, who led a revolt in chapter 20 as well. And in chapter 20, verse 1 through 2, it says, All Israel followed after Sheba and defected from David's rule. I, I can kind of understand how David maybe um, wanted to be a little toot his own horn, be a little boastful, be a little puffed up. And so what David did is he had them numbered. And he's gloating a little bit. Joab reminds David, you don't need a census. You don't need the praise of men. But that's why David took the census, because I think he was very prideful. He's saying, look at my army. Yeah, a lot of people have opposed me. A lot of people give me grief. But look, hey, look how we're doing now. We're doing quite well. Look at the nation. We're doing well. Look at all these soldiers we have in our army because we've won victory after victory, losing very few soldiers. And it's all because of who, David says. It's all because of me. Look what I've done. Now, it's true. We've said it time and time again. Remember that, that God, during this time in redemptive history, in Israel's history, God mediates his blessings and his cursings through the king right? As the king does well, God blesses the people. As the king disobeys, what does he do? He curses the people. So as the king goes, so goes the nation. But think, we have to remember that David isn't the source of the blessings, is he? Where else do we see this type of arrogance in scripture? Can you think of a time where other people were arrogant? like this, and took credit for something that the Lord had done. Yeah, the Tower of Babel. Do you remember the Tower of Babel? It was after the flood, and there was a reboot. There's a restart. And you think, well, okay, there's a reboot, a restart. Okay, Noah, you and your sons, fill the earth again, and we think things are going to get better. Well, they don't because you have the Tower of Babel. Instead of scattering throughout and filling the earth, what do they do? They congregate in one city, and they decide they want to make, build a tower in order to make a name for who? Themselves. Yeah, we see the same thing. And what was the result of that? What's the result? God's judgment, their languages were confused, and they were scattered. What about Moses? You remember Moses? Did he ever, did he ever get boastful and prideful? You think about Moses, remember they were, they were traveling from Egypt. They had, they had miraculously escaped Pharaoh, the hand of the Lord, and they're traveling towards the promised land. And they're thirsty, and they, they grumble, which they did a lot, right? They grumbled a lot. And so the Lord tells Moses to speak to a rock, 
and he's going to bring forth water. And what did Moses do? Numbers chapter 20, verse 10 through 11. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together. They've been, they've been complaining and whining, you know, how they do. And then he's, he gathers them before the rock and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water? Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Speaking of he and Aaron, right? Not, he's not thinking about he and the Lord. He's about he and Aaron. And Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with his staff twice and water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. But do you remember, what was the result of Moses' arrogance there? He didn't get to go. He was forbidden to lead the nation in the promised land. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he didn't speak to the rock. He says, in other words, look what I'm fixing to do. Right? What about Nebuchadnezzar? You remember old King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king in Daniel chapter 4, verse 29, 30. He was on the roof of his palace in Babylon. Look what it says. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which who's, who built? Which I built with whose power? With my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of who? My glory, right? My majesty, not the Lord. And so what was the result of Nebuchadnezzar's gloating and being boastful and arrogant? Do you remember verse 32 to 33? Yeah, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be the beast of the field. He was humble, to say the least, right? You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. He became an animal, didn't he? It was like he, was, he, was like he was, looked like an animal out there. Yeah, that was the result of his boasting and his arrogance. Yeah, we see that throughout redemptive history. David didn't listen to the good counsel even from Joab, and he took the census anyway. Does this ever happen to us? We're counseled not to disobey the Lord, and even our consciences tell us, counsel us not to do it, and yet we do it anyway. Ever happened to anybody besides me? Yeah, happens to us sometimes, doesn't it? Well, he was rebellious, David was, for 285 days while this census is being, being made and being taken. But look at verse 10. But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very what? Foolishly. Yeah. This is why we love David, isn't it? We read this story, and, and David's like a hero in a lot of ways, but he's also very flawed. But we love David. Because he's a man after God's own heart, which doesn't mean that he's perfect. It means that when he blows it, he repents and draws near to the Lord. Unlike Saul, he confesses his sin and turns from it. I mean, it's easy for us to place blame on others when we, when we sin. But David here, he owns his sin. He confesses it to the Lord and turns from it. But despite the fact that David confesses his sin, there's, 
there are consequences, right? And the same is true of us. We confess our sin. We had a time of confession. We've been doing that lately in our worship time. It's just a time to be still, be quiet before the Lord. And we don't have a lot of music playing, background music or anything. We just sit before the Lord in the quietness of the room and allow the Spirit of God to bring things to our attention that we can repent of, we can confess, repent, and then we can worship the Lord. But there are consequences even though we confess our sin and we repent. Verses 11 through 14 and, and 15 through 17. Gad, the prophet, comes to David, doesn't he, and tells him, hey, there's going to be consequences. You've got to choose between these three things. Isn't that terrible? I don't know about you. Uh, young people don't know much about this. Some of you older folks can. And then we exaggerate, of course. Uh, but your parents ever told you to go get, go get a switch? Young people are like, what are you talking about, right? Older folks, did that ever happen to you? That's what God's doing here through the prophet Gad. He's telling David, hey, David, go, go pick your own switch that I'm going to beat you with. You got three options here. Number one, have three years of famine. Well, they've already been through that in chapter 21 when Saul sinned against the Gibeonites, right? The second option is you're going to be at the hand of your enemies. You're going to be run from your enemies for three months. I'm going to give you over to your enemies, right? Or the third one is three days of pestilence. I'm going to send a plague for three days. Look at verse 14. David responds, I am in great distress. What's that mean? Put that in your own. How, how, how could you summarize that? Put it in your own words. Oh, my goodness. When we rebel against the Lord, it leads us to this conclusion, doesn't it? For all of us, isn't it? Oh, man, what have I done? What have I done? So what, what does God, what David choose? He chooses to be at God's mercy, right, instead of man's mercy. In verse 15 through 17, it tells us that 70,000 people died. Look at verse 17. 70,000 men. That's a lot of, that's a lot of funerals. That's a lot of funerals. Three days, 70,000 graves to be dug. Look at verse 17. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people. And he said, Behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. David pleads to the Lord. And the Lord hears David and relents. But the fourth thing I want to point out to you is remember that cursings and blessings come through the king. We've already mentioned this. We've said this time and time again throughout the, the, our study of First and Second Samuel. But blessings and cursings come through the king. Why did 70,000 Israelites die? Because one man, the king, rebelled against the Lord. He was prideful. He was boastful. He says, look at me. Look what I've accomplished, right? Took credit for what God had done. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, we're reminded, verse 14 and 15, if you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if, you, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. If the king does well, if he obeys, the people are blessed. 
If he strays, the people wonder. We, we, in our chronological Bible story, and we talk about that all the time. Why was the northern kingdom, 722 B.C., why were they exiled first? Because they didn't have one good king. All their kings were wicked. But yet, 586, the southern kingdom, they were exiled later. There were some good kings among them, right? God withholds his judgment for, because of the king's obedience. Yeah, 70,000 Israelites die because the king sinned. As the leader goes, so goes the people. But notice what David does here. He offers up himself. Hey, take my punishment. Pour out your wrath upon me. And we, we do that in our minds, don't we? I mean, I think about it all the time, especially when your children are sick. Some of you had your children, they're very ill. And you, as a father, as a mother, you're like, Lord, if it's any way possible, give it to me. I'll bear it. I'll take it, right? Or your spouse, they're sick, they're ailing, they're dying. Give it to me. I'd rather it be me, right? And that's what David says. Pour out your wrath on me. Verse 18 through 24, God commands David then to build an altar to make offerings Arana offers to give David the threshing floor that he's told to purchase so he can build an altar. And Arana even offers to give David the oxen, the sacrifice, but David refused. Look at verse 24. No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. That's a well-known verse, right? So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. So he buys the threshing floor and he makes an offering. And then lastly, the last thing we notice from the text today is notice the mercy of God. David, we said, chooses to be at God's mercy instead of man's mercy. And God is merciful, isn't he? An altar is made. Sacrifices, offerings are offered. And how does God respond? Look at verse 25. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. The plea of David and the sacrifice resulted in God's wrath being satisfied. Think about that plague and we can't even really understand 70,000 people in three days. But that's not nearly as terrible as the plague, the judgment that's to come for those who reject Christ, is it? I mean, that's why we do wildlife suppers, right? Because we want people that have an opportunity to hear the gospel, maybe unchurched, people who wouldn't necessarily come to church, they'll come to that. And they do, right? By the hundreds. Because we know that judgment is real. How do we apply this text as we wrap up? First and Second Samuel, a couple, couple of things. Firstly, Ephesians 4:30 tells us, "Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." For us who rebel against the Lord, we can relate to David, can't we? I'm in great distress. Yeah, when we sin against the Lord, it's, we're miserable. It's a terrible place to be in opposition to the, the Lord. 
So let's follow in David's example and let's repent. Repent of our sin and follow the Lord. That's the first way we need to apply it, I think. But this whole series, as we, we've talked about, there's a need for a king, right? And David, he's a man after God's own heart, and he's so much better than Saul, right? We compare him to Saul. I mean, David was rejected, yet he continued to be faithful, and yet he blew it at times, but he turned back to the Lord. He even offers uh, a sacrifice. He mediates for the people. David is a godly man, but he's flawed. He's prideful, and he desires the praise of man. But then, again, he offers to take the punishment himself. Notice it's a punishment that who deserved? David deserved, right? But he's unable to do so. What David can't do, see, he leaves the Israelites wanting, desiring more, desiring more. Yeah, you're a great king, but you're not the greatest king. We need someone else. We need someone greater, someone better. What David can't do, Jesus of Nazareth can. Jesus is not flawed. He completely obeys the law. Jesus, he too was rejected, wasn't he, like David? But unlike David, he offers a perfect sacrifice. He offers himself. Jesus took the punishment. David offered up himself wanting to take the punishment that he deserved. But Jesus took the punishment that he didn't deserve. And right now, he's at the right hand mediating for his people, even as we speak. God mediates his blessings and his cursings through the king. David was godly but flawed. The nation prospered but also suffered. David, he points us to the ultimate king, doesn't he? We're left, as we read this story, we're, we admire David in a lot of ways, but it leaves us wanting. It left the nation of Israel wanting and desiring someone better. David disappoints, but Jesus does not. And through King Jesus comes the blessings of God for any who will Submit to his lordship. So today, by application, I'll encourage you and compel you to repent and yield to King Jesus who can meet your every need. He will not disappoint. He was sacrificed once for all so sinners could be forgiven. God's wrath could be appeased and we, could, we can forever have fellowship with this Heavenly Father. Thirdly, Arana, he was willing to give King David, the Messiah, whatever he wanted, right? Hey, I'll give you the threshing floor. Not, not just the threshing floor, I'm going to give you the oxen to go with it so you can make sacrifices. He was willing to do whatever... The Messiah wanted him to do. We should be like that towards our Messiah, shouldn't we? Last thing, Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Arana was willing to do whatever, give whatever to the Messiah. We, too, should be willing to give any and everything to our King, King Jesus. Hope you'll do that today. If you're not yielded to the Lord, if you're in rebellion against the Lord and you're separated from the Lord, I encourage you to call out to the Lord in repentance, placing your faith in Jesus who was crucified buried and resurrected so that we could be justified before this holy God. Jesus revealed himself to his disciples and he ascended into heaven, but he said, one day I'll return to judge sinners. And when he comes, that judgment will be far worse than the judgment God poured out on Israel for three days, resulting in 70,000 deaths. That judgment will be for all eternity. Won't you repent today? Hope you'll do that. As we conclude our study there of First and Second Samuel. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.